this is Dr. Rod's story with Mere Medicine uh, here in the uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast uh, Cross Politics studio. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in today. Cross, uh, Cross Politics is a wonderful host, and we're glad to be supporting their mission as they seek to uh, bring truth uh, and faithfulness uh, to the community at large and to provoke some good discussions. Uh, we, as a medical approach, want to kind of talk to our Christian brothers and sisters and inform them well on challenging topics in medicine and also how to think about this in terms of our, of our faithful Christian walk. So today we're going to uh, be introducing a friend of mine. Uh, let me introduce you to Johnny Peterson. Hello there. How are you, Dr. Story? Uh, pleasure to have you on the phone uh, and having you join us here uh, by a little distance. Uh, you're up in Coeur d'Alene? We are. We're still in Coeur d'Alene, Coast Falls area, yeah. So this is North Idaho, and we're located about two hours south, uh, but I've had an opportunity to know Johnny throughout the years. I think it's going on about 13 years that we've been friends. I think so, yeah. Uh, how did you uh, find your way to Moscow before we get any any deeper into the weeds of the medicine? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, that'd be over 20 years ago. I came to Moscow uh, to go to New Sanders College <clears throat> and uh, attended there for uh, a couple of years and then found a, a young lady and, and went and earned uh, my, my bread so I could marry the young lady and then finished uh, New St. Andrews. Um, so I did, attended there, started in 98, and I finished finally in 2006. Uh, and then you went on to additional school from there. I did. So uh, at, at that point, um, I was I was working uh, in, in a civil engineering field. And uh, when the 2008-2009 recession came along, that kind of uh, took away a lot of the work that was available. And so we uh, ended up switching gears and, and did a couple of different things and, and ended up going into nursing um, as I was looking for a field that I could you know provide for my family that was essentially re- recession proof um, and uh, to raise those kids. And I, and I, I think uh, I got to know you before you went into the nursing uh, career because you helped me paint my house, which That's is kind right. of a fun way to spend some time together. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, as you and I talked about the medical career, I encourage you to think about nursing. Uh, I hope I didn't push you into something that ultimately wasn't worthwhile. But I'm glad uh, you worked really hard, and I and I loved watching you as a as a working dad, uh, putting in the hours, uh, and studying hard for a career that you were attracted to. So today we're going to talk with uh, Johnny Peterson and ask him some questions because he is one of the brave many who went into nursing and the brave many who were also stepping out of nursing. So we're going to ask him some questions about that and get a bit of his story, but. Tell me, what, what were you looking uh, to do when you went into nursing? Why were you attracted to it besides just being recession-proof? Sure. There were actually quite a lot of reasons. I had a, a daughter who uh, ended up being life-flighted for a, a respiratory issue. And the, the folks who took care of her, there was one gentleman in particular, a nurse, who um, ju- just showed incredible uh, professionalism and great care and knowledge and skill and, and was instrumental in saving my daughter's life. And, and so he was, he was a big inspiration. My dad is also a nurse and has been for, mm. for many years and, and also a, a big inspiration to me uh, to, to go into that field. So th- those are probably the two primary things that, that drew me, just that, that chance to actually really be instrumental in someone's life and, and to, to be that person who could have the skill to save, save someone's life and, and make, make their quality of life better. It, it, it was, that, that was a very attractive thing. And I think uh, it's a fascinating thing to look at nursing. Nursing has become a very skilled field. Uh, you had to put in quite a few years in school to learn what you needed to do. I did, yes. Yeah. So I, I got another bachelor's degree 
um, in, in nursing, uh, and it, it was it was a strenuous four years of, of school. That's that's for sure. So um, between you know working and nursing, it was a good hundred hours a week that we put in to to accomplish that. By the time we finished school, it was uh, we were ready for for just a job. <laughs> That, that is not a small investment of time or brain space. Uh, um, I have I have great respect for my nursing colleagues and and Johnny, you're always one of those that I that I particularly would would think, man, if I end up in the hospital, that's the guy I want to take care of me. Talk to me about what your careers look like. What have you ended up doing? So I went directly from nursing school into um, a residency, a fellowship where they where they trained me into the ICU. So I had a six month. Um, follow-up training period, following school, uh, working in the intensive care unit. And I worked there for about two and a half years on, on nights. And that, that was a, it was a really neat uh, opportunity. I learned a tremendous amount there, just some very, very bright people that I was able to, to, to study under and to work with. And, and it was... So when we're talking experience. intensive care unit or ICU, yes. what kind of patients end up in the intensive care unit? Oh, these would be open heart patients or people on ventilators, people who were not able to breathe on their own, people who needed um, serious um, serious life-saving measures, uh, you know, whether it was a, a diabetes, you know, like a ketoacidosis sort of thing. And we had to um, deal with, with people's numbers that were way out of whack and try to bring them back to... Um, to a safe, healthy level, so they could survive and live. But this was the, these were you know people at death's door, um, hmm. and and very frequently that was that was the case. And in my experience uh, as a hospital physician in a small town where we were, took care of those patients in the intensive care unit, uh, your hospital was the one that we would send patients to who we were struggling with. So you guys Correct. were inheriting those challenging patients that had four, five, six medicines running and challenging life support issues. Uh, where we wanted the best of the best taking care of them. So thank you. Thank you for that for that level of care and that expertise that you put your time in on. Um, talk to me about uh, how uh, the COVID years have changed this. Uh, so obviously we're talking to you and you are now working in a completely different career. And I, I'm going to ask you to, to, to tell us what that is and then we'll come back full circle. Sure. So um, I worked, as I mentioned, in the ICU for about two and a half years. Following that, the next five years I worked in, in the PACU. So we recovered patients from the operating room. We prepared them and recovered them from surgery. And so I wasn't in the ICU proper when the COVID, um, you know, times uh, were, were going on. I <laughs> I like that term, COVID <laughs> times. You yeah. you seem to hesitate a little bit. We're all, we're trying to figure out what to call this thing. Looking backwards, it, it's true. And so it it, it was interesting because there, there were a number of things that that I noted kind of going into it. And, and one of the one of the big issues for me, and one of the things that I took I took um, I, I had a real problem with was uh, the fact that when, when COVID hit, um, we had policy changes basically daily, um, you know, where, where we would have a new mandatory, um, a new mandatory instruction. You have to wear, you know, a, a cloth mask is fine. And then two days later, N95 masks are required. And then we would go back to, well, we're short on N95 masks. So surgical masks are okay. And <laughs> Then we would go to, we're sharing a PPE, so we're going to hang up a, an isolation gown outside of a patient's room, and every nurse... The so PPE, uh, that's uh, personal protective gear, is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, so so we would, we would you know, the, the respiratory therapist and the nurse and the physical therapist, anyone who had to go into this patient's room would wear the same gown, and it was a, a full mm. body gown, and, and so it, it was really interesting, um, because the, the two words that seemed to go together throughout that early early COVID time were, were arbitrary and mandatory. 
Hmm. Um, and, and that was something that really, I think, lost a lot of people's faith and respect in, in the policymakers' decisions. Um, well, especially when they change day to day, and it's not always related to actually the patient's care. Correct. Um, but to something very different. Correct. And then so, you know, and, and it was down to things like um, you need to leave uh, an isolation room because I was working in, in the operating room. And so we would have, you know, the, the rooms that we'd recover patients in. And so we had several different bays that were designated, you know, as negative pressure rooms so that uh, they're safe for isolation patients with COVID. And, and we would, um, the, the policies regarding those rooms would change nearly daily as well. So, you know, at one point we have to wait two hours before we can clean a room, but then they realized <laughs> that was backing up patients. And now we, we don't have enough recovery rooms because we're waiting all this time with empty rooms. So then it changed to an hour. And then because it went from airborne precautions to droplet precautions. And so there are all these different levels of, of, um, I don't know, precautions and, and care that, that are taken to prevent, you know, contamination and, and moving the, the illness to other, other people. Uh, well, here in our area, I, I, I happen to have privileges at two local hospitals. We, yeah. we straddle the Washington-Idaho border, and, uh, and it, was, it was unique. Everybody was making it up as they went. Yeah. Um, and then you had the government weighing in. Uh, in Washington State, they were essentially shutting down the hospital and saying, Nothing that would would be non-essential is the term that they used. Right. So they basically um, idled every surgery that had been scheduled for for knee replacements, for cataracts, for uh, ear, nose, and throat procedures, for for urology procedures. All these things that people had been waiting months for. Yes. And suddenly they were they were canceled, and those surgeons and physicians were were basically told, "I'm sorry, you're part of the problem, and we need you to stay out of the hospital." Right. And we did you see that as well where you're at? Absolutely. We experienced that num- a number of times where we were shut down for um, any elective procedures, and and uh, the definitions throughout that time of what an elective procedure was actually changed as well. So uh, Hmm. if you consider a knee replacement as an elective procedure, um, but then you consider that as it goes, as time goes on, that, you know, you've got more bone on bone wearing, that you have more damage to the tissues around um, and and less mobility. So people who are, you know, have those bad knees, they can't walk. And so then they're gaining weight, they're becoming less mobile and they'll have a lower quality of life if and when they survived, you know, to, to get that, that knee replacement. Um, so then you add, add those surgeries and they just back up. And so then you have multiple uh, comorbidities that come along with that. You have people who are not getting screened for, for mm. cancer. Um, and I know, I know of people who, who died from, from cancer and didn't get the screenings that they needed during that time. Um, yes. The insanity of it all. And, and a lot of that became just as this, uh, Hey, there's fear out there. You have to fear this thing that you can't see. You're uh, utterly responsible, ultimately responsible to not give this to anyone. And if you do, you're an evil person. Right. And it just created this whole culture of fear around our, particularly our hospitals. Uh, how did you see that impacting your work as a, as a uh, ICU phys- uh, nurse and then ultimately as a PACU nurse? What, what struck me as kind of interesting was that there seemed to be a generational divide in terms of the being susceptible to the fear-mongering. So the people mm. who had been around for a, for a while, nurses who had been there for 20, 30 years, they, we, we've seen other pandemics, we've seen other you know, flus and other things come through and go by. And so there was a healthy level of respect for a pathogen, but there mm-hmm. was not a, quite the, the same mentality of, 
you know, panic and and fear and desperation. So not cavalier, not like, no. hey, we'll just we'll we'll give up washing our hands and, no. and we'll cough on everybody and we'll come to work sick. Um, no, but, not, but not also in a right, yeah, not not foolishness, an appropriate level of care and, and your responsibility. Mm. Um, but but also not being susceptible to the, the fear mongering that was that was going on. So a lot of the younger nurses, a lot of those who were um, you know kind of up and coming, were far more interested in you know all of the protocols and, and going through and, and making sure that that everyone else was towing the line and being more. So it, it was interesting to note the generational divide. Mm, that. that is interesting. To, you know, we we there's a lot of uh, verbiage these days that's being tossed around. The word toxic. Uh, workplace seems to be uh, commonly uh, labeled on places, but it sounds like that could have led to a, a, a toxic workplace. Well, there's certainly um, there certainly were those who um, were, were more of the, the tail bearers, more concerned with you know appearing um, like, well, I'm not going to kill my grandma kind of mentality, mm. um, and and then some some blame um, that that would get passed around as a result, um, and. Again, you know, when, when you're dealing with people's fears, people cherish their fears um, in, in a really fascinating way. There was, there was one case, I took a patient over to the orthopedic unit in the hospital. They had had uh, some joint replacement. And um, the, the patient had just had COVID, I think, two weeks before, three weeks before. So they were, um, you know, they, they had some natural immunity because of, of having had that already. And so mm -hmm. I, I expressed this to the nurse on the floor that I took the patient to, and he he got really quite angry with me, and and it's like, well, you don't know that, you don't know that they're safe, you don't know that anyone's safe, and and the fact wow. that I was I was trying to approach and, and mollify those those fears to say that there was a reasonable level of, of hope for you know some immunity here, um, because I was I was kind of touching on his fears there and and trying to diminish them, that that was that was a really unfriendly thing to him. Which is hmm. interesting to me. Well, and that's challenge when you're when you're you know people who you normally would be looking to as colleagues and having a reasonable expectation of hey we're we're on the same same team we're playing uh, with the same expectations uh, and suddenly you're feeling like you have to actually um, oh have, play this whole level of politics uh, right. when you should be just giving patient care. <laughs> Do you think that that this um, this fear that that developed in the and and uh, the many different changes in how uh, nurses were to approach the illness. Do you think it affected quality of care in the hospital? Well, absolutely. Um, so it it takes more time to deal with a patient when you have to go through multiple levels of isolation. So, hmm. right. So if you have to, if you have to gown up and mask up and you have to you know put the glasses on, you have to do all of this all these things just to take someone a glass of water, for example. Um, mm. you're going to end up bundling your cares because otherwise you're not going to physically be able to take care of the patients that you have. So even aside from the different levels of, of fear and concern, wanting to stay away from patients and, and you know, people not seeing anyone's face because of, of masks, you know, blocking it, mm -hmm. which I think is a really important thing. Um, even aside from all of that, just the nature of, of the time constraints and having to bundle cares so that you can get to all the patients that you have, you're going to go into this patient's room probably half as often as you otherwise would have. So, hmm. um, you know, if you, so if that you have, means what you're essentially saying is that there's half as many human connection points. Sure. And, as there were before. Right. And that's, that's aside from any stigma uh, related to, uh, I'm going to avoid this, you know, pa patient with COVID. I don't want to get COVID. So uh, aside hmm. from all the fears and the stigma, 
which that does change the personal relationships and, and, and the inter interactions for a lot of those people. I mean, if you're living in a life based on fear and trying to avoid um, danger, it does change your interactions with other people. Yes. We ran into stories, um, and, and, and these are shared directly firsthand from patients that I care for, mm -hmm. A few patients, and we had actually several thousand that we cared for with COVID. Most who who avoided being in the hospital because they were they were they were able to weather it at home. We ended up having three patients out of our several thousand member practice who were hospitalized. Each of them came back with a story uh, where they were uh, primarily cared for through windows. Sure. Uh, uh, where they were told, "Okay, uh, here I'm going to put this medicine under the door, and I want you to take it." Uh, where they were. They, they were essentially without any human contact for most of the 24-hour days that they were in the hospital. This was a this 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 impacted their care dramatically. Not only it was it, I mean, they were they were treated like bags of chemicals, you know, uh, right. physical beings uh, or machines behind doors, but not in a in a human compassion. Uh, I'm going to touch you. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to visit with you. I'm going to treat you. Uh, as someone who needs more than just meds pushed in and and uh, and pee measured as it comes out, right? Yeah, and, and that is I, I think really detrimental. Um, my 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 grandmother died uh, during COVID, um, and okay. she she was uh, she was becoming somewhat demented. She was in she was in a, a nursing home, a long term care facility, and she was not allowed to have any family visits any pastoral visits, no one, no one was allowed to come see her uh, for about hmm. a year. And so she became increasingly demented, older, older For a whole people, year. For a whole year. Did I, did I just hear you correctly? For a, for a year. whole year, yes, no sir. family contact. Correct. And so, <laughs> and so when, when you're becoming demented as, as an older person going through some of those, um, th those trials, your, your tie to reality is people, especially your people. So your family, you know, she couldn't remember anything from you know recent memory, but she knew her family. She she had those faces, you know, just because that was pounded into her for her whole whole life. That these were her people, and, and mm. take that away from someone, um, she she became increasingly increasingly out of touch with reality and and paranoid, and ended up falling uh, because of, of this paranoia and broke yes. her, broke her hip, and and from there it was not a terribly long time before she she passed. Okay. And so I think so. We were, we were ultimately protecting her from COVID, right? But, to the detriment of um, her to life. the detriment of so many other things. So and I think, things. and it's not an isolated case. I think that's been a very common thing. I, I yes. did home the, the last six months that I was in nursing. Uh, I had left the hospital uh, this last March, and I did home health nursing for about six months after that. Um, mm. And it, it was a really neat, neat experience in a lot of ways because I was able to go into people's homes um, and and be a, a point of human contact with them to to pray with them or to you know take care of them and talk with them while I'm doing the, the basic necessities that they need to have done sure. dressing changes and all of that and so but for a lot of these people you know the most I'd say the average age of that population was about 80 years old and mm. you know a lot of them had, were you know had recently lost a spouse in, in several occasions and to be there and be that person to listen to them for a half an hour or 45 minutes and to be able to take the time to, you know, care for them and to show them some human kindness um, hmm. as well as providing for the physical necessity. It, it was a really important 
important job, I, I think. And, and it was something that, you know, whether it was a long-term care facility, a lot of the folks in the long-term care facilities were, if there was an outbreak of COVID in the facility, they would be isolated to their rooms. Mm-hmm. They, would, they would not have any common, you know, time out in, in the in the meal room or, or anywhere else. They would be isolated in their rooms and they, that happened for months at a time. So there was one, uh, one wow. gentleman who was isolated in his room for six months and he was not allowed to come out of his room for six months that I helped. Mm-hmm. And so he would have someone come in, you know, to, to clean or to bring him food a few times a day. Um, and that was his experience of, of people for six months. Um, and, hmm. and I think there's a huge, well, and clearly, there. I mean, as, as a nurse, uh, you're just a very small connection point for familiarity, for comfort, for kindness. Yeah. Um, and in these, so many of these circumstances, the families were either kept away or, or purposely stayed away, um, for fear that they might, like you said, kill grandpa. Right. Uh, uh, and yet, um, something essentially human was, was missing something essential to nursing as well. Do you think this is that this played a role? I mean, clearly you're no longer practicing nursing. You're in a right. completely different, uh, a career. And, and, and some of that I know is, uh, as you and I've shared the story is about your family and caring well for them. Um, tell me that story about leaving nursing. So yeah, this, this last year, um, I, I became increasingly just convinced that that things were moving in a, in a direction that I didn't want to go. Um, nursing care and, and health care in, in general, I think, is a little bit inclined towards a socialistic mentality to begin with. Hmm. So people can't be responsible to take care of themselves. They eat too much. They drink too much. They smoke too much. You know, and, and so people should be made to do what is good for them. And there, there's hmm. some, something of that mentality that I think is increasing uh, with, again, this younger generation, that there is this increased mentality of we need to control people, uh, we, we, whether we make laws, whether we make rules, you know, whatever, whatever this happens, whether we shame people for the different life habits, um, you know, that, that, that we need to control them. And so there, there was mm. that mentality, and that kind of leaked into the whole uh, mentality uh, also of, of, you know, what kind of protective equipment you're wearing and how, how you know, you're responsible to take care of all these people, but, mm. um, but then uh, there, there a kind of a divide with that as well, where there are the people who are going through and like with whichever mandatory arbitrary rule is made today, that is the new set in stone 11th commandment. Right. right? So sure. this is yep, science settled, even yeah. though it's was settled last week and it changed. Right. Uh, it's, it's, a, there's been this really moving target, um, of, of dictates that have come through. And, and so, and, and for me, it was this, this kind of constantly changing arbitrary mandatory combination of, of rules that I, I didn't see that going away. And I kind of mm. just anticipated that there would be um, a, a COVID vaccine mandate for anyone in healthcare coming down the pike sure. as well. And, and I was not inclined towards that. Um, I, I did get a pretty rousing case of COVID myself. Um, and ah, welcome to the club. Oh, you yes. know, it's uh, <laughs> the data shows that that gives long lasting beneficial uh, immunity that that carries over to all of the variants much better than the, the vaccine did. And if you're like me, I mean, I, I imagine you probably get a, got it in the course of caring for people. I did. Yeah. Got it while I was at yeah. the hospital. Uh, I happen to be fighting sniffles right now, and probably it's better that you're not in the studio with me. But uh, as we care for people, we put ourselves at risk. We we can't help but but pick up the things, kind of like uh, elementary school teachers. They bring it all home. For sure. 
Um, so, so you um, you made a decision to to do something different. What what was the final straw? Was there a was there a moment where you and your wife were like this 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 is just broken, uh, or was it just a was there an opportunity that came along? You know, it, it was kind of it was an, an accumulation of things. It wasn't any one particular event mm. that uh, I broke ties with. I, I left on good terms, um, and and everyone you know, said they were sorry to see me go. Whether or not you know they actually were, they were, they were at least very polite about it. But it was sure. it was a it was a good situation. I was able to leave, and it was it was a good unit that I was in. I was very thankful for for a lot of my coworkers, and um, so I I would not be opposed to getting back into healthcare at some point if it was more mm-hmm. uh, along the lines of what you're doing in, in a more um, you know. Well, yeah, very the independence uh, 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 clinic uh, has been a re- really remarkable place to be in medicine, especially during this. This crazy pandemic, yeah. where, where where things have been dictated from on high, and there's not been opportunity to speak, or even ask questions about why are we doing what we're doing. Right, and there's you another, know, I, I, you're, I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. Uh, there's another clinic uh, like that that's just opened up up here recently, and they're they're looking mm. to uh, start another one up in Sandpoint, and so I think we're going to see more and more call for that kind of care, um, and I think that's it, a really it's good. A, it really is. I think people are realizing that the the the, the healthcare industry is really consolidated since the Affordable Care Act or what we call Obamacare. Yeah. And it not, has not been a good thing. Uh, uh, locally, we have, uh, we had a group of physicians who were, who were in charge of the local uh, hospitals and their, and their response to COVID and the, and the choices that were made and put in place for the uh, so-called protection of everyone. And those still remain in place. Like the, the last people still wearing masks, uh, and treating it like nothing has changed are the hospital circumstances. But what's fascinating is everybody on that board is also employed by the hospital. Hmm. And so it, there's no freedom to speak differently or outside, especially when the hospital is saying, uh, we're going to uh, cut your, your opportunities for surgery unless you fall in line. Sure. And, and so, I mean, you're, you're beholden, and, and we're thankful. Thankful now to to be an independent clinic and have four physicians that are working in our, in our location. And I see that growing like Mm -hmm. crazy around the United States. I, it saddens me when I look at my nursing colleagues and and I've read a couple of articles, like I have one here that I'm looking at that says that 90% of nurses are considering leaving the profession Mm. in this next year. And this was published in March 24th of 2022. This was an industry survey. I'm looking at another one that talks about that, that, um, uh, new nurses are leaving. Uh, that other other article was saying that f- even f- even nurses that have been there around for 15 years, they have a huge investment. They're they're really looking to leave. Uh, Fox News had an article just this this year talking about how it's not just nurses, but it's physicians. And there's this great resignation that seems to be even more likely in the in the medical world. Man, sure. what a shortage that's going to be. Um, did you hear much of that conversation when you were in in the healthcare industry? I, I did. I, when as I was kind of contemplating leaving, in particular, you know, we've been through this this uh, pandemic thing for what about a year and a half at that time, and people were were just getting people were over it. Um, a lot of mm. a lot of my coworkers, a number of them have left. Um, the, the hospital has kind of been hemorrhaging um, nursing staff, in particular, um, and and a lot of others that I've spoken with have indicated that. You know, they feel trapped. They they don't have a marketable mm. skill that they can go do something else. But they would, they, they would love to be done with with nursing, which which is really a tragic thing yeah. because it's 
it's, it's a noble profession. It's something that I think is really important. People desperately need good quality nursing care along with good physicians. Um, so to see that, that happening and that be a pretty widespread thing, um, it's, it's rough. It is very frightening, especially as we have the boomers, the baby boomer generation coming through and needing care. I drive down a street in my town, and every time I drive by it, this house, they have a sign out front that says caregiver needed, and it has their own personal phone number. It's been up for months, yeah. and that tells me that there are people that are desperate for in-home care, desperate to have someone who will, will extend the skills and talents of nursing and be able to just provide um, the things that people are needing, and yet no answer. That sign's still out there. I suspect yeah. it's just one of many that are out there as well. Well, you know, I think, honestly, uh, we tend to see these in a, such a negative way, and, and perhaps it's uh, having grown up watching uh, watching uh, Left Behind or some reading some of those <laughs> books. But I think there's a there there is a remarkable opportunity as believers, as followers of Christ, in these moments where culture is hitting the fan. Um, and, and I would I would love for you to to kind of give me some thoughts on what would it take for Christians to turn this around. What would it what would it take for us to 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 create a, a true alternative, what would that look like? Well, I think I think it, it, it's looking like some of the things that we're seeing come up. There, there, you know, this talk of a surgery center being being uh, built up here. There is this direct primary care, and and this the, the office we have up here is is a Christian run uh, direct primary care as well. And and seeing, oh, that's cool. Seeing people who are willing to you know who just have a heart to care for people and want to provide services that are, are desperately needed. Um, but are able to move away from the the more of the the institutional healthcare, and it just I think part of it is a boldness and a willingness to do that, which is a scary mm. thing for a lot of people. You know, especially you get out of medical school, you get out of nursing school, and you have you know debts, you've got a family to provide for, you have things that are kind of probably weighing heavy, um, and then the unknown is always a frightening thing for for a lot of people. So, just being willing to take that step to move, um, you know, to to organize and move into a sustainable private care practice. I think that's, we're going to have to see a lot more of that. Um, when we're seeing people who are leaving, you know, these West coast States that are so uh, heavy with not only red tape, but with mandates uh, moving to places like Idaho, which are really pride themselves on letting professionals do their job and leaving them to do that. Well, uh, we're, I'm, I'm thankful as a believer to be able to, to really practice very independently um, and we're seeing, like like I said, we've we've had three other physicians come join me in the last four years yeah, that we've wonderful. been open, uh, and and we see no end in growth. One of the things that that we've seen is uh, people looking for alternatives, and that seems to be one of the drivers of opportunity, but also really truly Christ honoring medical care that isn't uh, tied to uh, the the ugly things that government is forcing: uh, abortion, right. euthanasia. Uh, uh, transgenderism. There's a crazy number of things that are that are waiting that the that the Biden administration would like to push through. We, uh, because we don't contract with government healthcare, right. um, are free from those mandates. And I would encourage our Christian brothers and sisters that are listening to consider how uh, entering the marketplace and doing something like a health share ministry. I don't know if your family yeah. is on one. Mm -hmm. Which one do you guys use? We use Samaritan Ministries. Yeah, as do we. And we have a, quite a few people that use MediShare and Christian HealthShare, and there's a number of them. And they're well-established, yes. and they are they really are quite stepped out. Have you used it for your family's care? I don't think we actually have, um, but, yeah. but we're, we're thankful to have that safety net. 
Well, and for uh, and uh, and cost-wise, it, it's uh, it seems to be a great place for getting that coverage that might eventually be needed. My wife had had uh, appendix uh, out. And it cost thirty thousand dollars mm-hmm. in our little tiny hospital uh, in twelve hours. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, my son broke his arm and had to have it set under anesthesia. And, and both times, the health share really helped us cover those big expenses. Yeah, that's what would have been hard to say for. And what we're seeing is not just these direct primary cares uh, or these uh, health shares or these um, independent um, cash pay surgery options or imaging options really popping up everywhere, but a, a, a willingness for believers to step out of the system and say, I need to look for a real alternative that that helps me look look for something that would be care that I would be glad to support and partner with. Absolutely. Well, t- uh, talk to me about uh, business. Uh, it sounds like you're growing and doing well. You know, we're very thankful. I, I started a, a painting business again last year, and uh, I just started working with my kids. So I really like my coworkers, which is a lot of fun. And I, uh, my older kids. <laughs> they still like me. you? <laughs> oh, we have a wonderful time together. Isn't that great? Uh, it's, it's a huge blessing. Very, very thankful. So I've, I've just enjoyed my time uh, working with my kids. I had this kind of special time where they're you know, a couple of them are in high school. One of them's at U of I for engineering, and and he's back for the summer. So we're we're all working together, and it's just a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, isn't family-run business a pretty amazing gift? And yeah. and uh, we we run one as well through Story Family Medicine. We're uh, uh, my wife is our office manager part time, and my daughter is my my main medical assistant. And uh, um, everyone else in our office uh, are either. Uh, fellow believers and even churchmates in many cases. Yeah. It's it's a marvelous thing to start a business, and I I'm, 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 would encourage anyone who's who's right on the edge to go ahead and do that with us. Well, um, Johnny, do you mind if I finish by praying for us? That'd be wonderful. Thank you. Father, I thank you for Johnny Peterson. I thank you for his career as a nurse. I thank you also for the opportunity now to have a painting business and to bless his family and to do it even with them. Father, it's a, it's a challenging time to walk as a believer, but Father, you use those times to... Uh, to burn off what should be gone, to shake us and to leave what remains. Father, we want what remains to be to your glory. We just ask that you'd help us to walk faithfully through the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friend. Very good. Thank you, sir. Very good. Uh, We're here on Mirror Medical. We'll be interviewing a couple more nurses over the next few weeks, but also on talking about medical education and wokeism and how it's just made a mess of medical education. Thanks so much for joining us here today.